Trigger warning, the following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. So today we're going to look into the disappearance of Casey McLeod, who was 19 years old at the time of her disappearance in 2003. Um, have you, do you, is, let me no. know for you. Not um, yet. We, do, we don't have wine this episode. Um, cause we're both extremely busy this July. <laughs> um, but we will have wine next episode. Um, so Casey was the only child of Lori and Rob McLeod who had separated when she was just four years old. And for a chapter in high school, after squabbles with her mother, she had lived with her aunt in Arizona. After high school, Casey had gotten mixed up into drugs and meth after one of her roommates had introduced her to these like extremely hard substances. Yeah. So that, that's really a lot. Me. That's, that's like a lot. Jump, jumping in the deep end. Yeah. But at the time of her disappearance, she seemed to turn her life around. She had things in order. She was actually working at Subway. She cleaned up her act and she was living with her mother at home um, and her mom's boyfriend, Scott. But one day Scott found drugs in Casey's room and showed them to her mother. And as you can imagine, this did not go over well. Yeah. Yeah. So Lori doesn't want drugs in her home. Can't blame her for that. And Casey insisted that the drugs weren't hers though. But like, yeah, (laughs) I'm sure that one. Yeah. I'm sure Lori had heard that before. Um, So she left the house that day. Scott actually put her up in a motel in the meantime, so that both ladies could kind of just take a break, take a chiller, you know, reset until Lori was ready to have a clean Casey back in her house again. Um, But one day in August, Casey wouldn't return back to the motel room that Scott had set her up in. Ooh. Yeah. And it's hard because it, Yeah, we'll get into how it just wasn't taken seriously at all, like her disappearance, because this was not the first time Casey had disappeared. So Scott had met Lori in January of 2003 at a poker table at the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk, which is just north of Denver, Colorado. Do you know where I'm talking about? Um, Well, okay, yeah, because I'm feeling familiar with Denver, but um, I don't know Blackhawk. But yeah, that's uh, that's quite the place where you like meet someone (laughs) at the blackjack table. (laughs) So Lori noticed right away how caring Scott was. He'd actually wheeled his mother who was wheelchair bound up to the table because she has an MS, made sure she was like all set up, ready to gamble, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they get talking and one of her friends is like, oh my God, just give Scott your number already. Like he's obviously swept off like his feet, right? Then Lori made a joke that I actually make often when I meet someone new. She's like, you're not a criminal, are you? <laughs> and, oh my god <laughs> scott's like i'm not a criminal but i work for the fbi so like i can promise i'm not a criminal i work for the fbi so she really like got a good one especially with considering when her daughter goes missing because scott would actually help quite a bit with that so oh, he really does work for the fbi yeah <laughs> okay i was like that's like that's what a criminal would say <laughs> <laughs> So the local police weren't helpful at all, unfortunately, when Casey went missing because she was an adult at the time, not her first time running away. And she'd also been mixed up in the drug scene. So they were like, she will come home. Don't worry. You know, that the usual. Mm -hmm. They couldn't file a missing person report because she's an adult. So if she wants to run away, she's more than welcome to run away. 19. 19. Yeah. Yep. So an adult, but like legally, but still clearly needing guidance and 
yeah, yeah. accountability and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So Scott had told Lori not to worry. He had all of his FBI friends on the lookout for any information on her, including they were watching her banking cards on her social as well. So if she took a job anywhere, you know, they Scott oh, yeah. would be the first to know, right? Um, and Scott actually told Lori it would be helpful if they got married in order for him to be able to see more of Casey's information and be able to help out more with looking for her. So they, yeah, they took a trip to Las Vegas. Um, where they were married. And then they went on a honeymoon camping trip in Kremlin, Colorado area at the Root National Forest um, shortly thereafter. And the newly married couple began a cattle farm with Scott's two young sons in 2004. So it's kind of a blended family, I guess you could Mm say. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, for obvious reasons, Scott and Lori's first year of marriage was under a lot of strain. Yeah. That's some yeah. strange circumstances to like throw yourself into a marriage. Yeah. So like not only had Casey disappeared, Scott traveled an awful lot for work. And in fact, at the time of Casey's disappearance, Scott told Lori about a similar case he'd been working on, the disappearance of 25-year-old Jennifer Markham. Obvious reasons he couldn't tell his wife everything about that case. But under the stress of it all, she kind of began to suspect he was having an affair. Ugh. Yeah. So tragically, though, in the summer of 2004, one of Scott's children, 10-year-old Justin, had an accident on the farm when one of the gates, I think it's a storm gate, fell on him. So Scott runs up to the house. He's got Justin in his arms, and he yells at Lori that he's heading to the hospital because this this fell on his son, obviously, and the child's passed out, right? Loads his child in the car. He takes off. So Lori takes off after him, right? But when she gets to the hospital, Justin's covered in blood. He wasn't covered in blood earlier. What? That's weird. Yeah. So when Lori asked about it, Scott told her that Justin went to open the car window um, on the highway when they were at 60 miles per hour and the car door had fallen open on him and he'd rolled out of the car. They're on the way to the hospital <laughs> and he falls out of the car and she's like behind them. That, that's, that does not make, that does not compute. That does not make sense at all. No. Now, shortly after this, Scott's Uncle Terry came to stay with the family to help. Now, Lori didn't like him. Terry gave her the creeps. And he, I don't know how he was supposed to be much of a help because he brought along his entire life with him, including a suitcase full of cash, which is pretty weird to me. (laughs) He packs it up. (laughs) He packs it up. He brought all of his dogs with him. I think he had two dogs. He also brought an alcohol addiction that would often leave him walking around their house naked. Oh my god, I'd be like, no, you're not staying here. It's the no. weird thing. How is that helping? He he came he came to help. He sounds like a like a load of problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. So one day Lori comes home, she finds all of her furniture has been moved around and the couch is outside by the pool area. And she goes out <laughs> and asks Scott what's going on. And he says, Well, one of Terry's dogs threw up. So he's out here cleaning, but not to worry. Terry won the lottery. And he's run away to Mexico with the stripper. So they won't have to deal with Terry anymore. Uh, that Oh, he just happened to win the lottery today and he ran away with the stripper today. Mm-hmm. And what the hell kind of dog throws up that you have to take the whole couch outside? <laughs> like Sasha has a great Dane. Like pretty sure you don't have to take the couch outside. Yeah. And Lori even told Scott, she said, that doesn't look like a vomit stain to me. I don't know what it looked like, but she said, that doesn't look like a vomit stain to me. Let me guess. It's blood. Mm-hmm. I... Mm -hmm. yeah so 
she didn't press it too much because she hated Terry. Yeah. But there's a lot of flags here, like a lot of red flags being dropped about good old Scott over here. Um, and since they'd gotten married, these red flags had seemed to stick out more to Lori. So like after they move in together, Lori had started to see a really hateful side of him. He seemed to enjoy killing the prairie dogs that were found on the um, property as he focused in on one, he would say, this is my mom. What? And shoot it. Wow. <laughs> I and get then, that prairie dogs are a pain, but like that's, that's bizarre. That is so strange. Yeah. And then this is my brother. And then your turn, dad, as he's shooting these prairie dogs. Uh, that's no. So, Serial killer alert and torturing <laughs> animals. <laughs> So one day, Lori says, please tell me one of those prairie dogs doesn't have my face on it. And he said, I wouldn't shoot you. No, I'd do something really special for you. <gasps> no, what a creep. Oh, God. And he works for the FBI? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm sorry. That's, oh, God. That's so, scary. I know. So Scott would also torment his oldest son, Justin who was more feminine in nature, calling him Susie all the time. So just a real bang up guy. Also, here's something terrible too. Lori would later say that she always suspected that um, Scott had like sexual attraction to her daughter. And I'm just like, girl, why, why are we marrying a man around? Yeah. Don't Don't bring your kid. Yeah. Even if she's an adult, don't bring someone around your kids. That's like that. Like it's disgusting. Yeah. So when Justin woke up from his month long coma, because he was in a coma for a month after this whole accident on the farm, his first question and rolling out of the door, out of the car, out of the car. His first question was, why did dad do this to me? Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Red flags everywhere. Yeah, but the doctors dismissed this question saying that kids wake up from comas all the time and say like the darndest things. Um, yeah, maybe that's like a really strange and specific thing to say. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin's biological mother, we'll get into her shortly. She believed her son and we'll talk about why she believed him. Yeah. So when Casey went missing, her boyfriend was the first to report that she hadn't come back from work at Subway to the motel where Scott had been keeping her at. Now, while she was there, Scott would often drive her to and from work. And her boyfriend said on the day that Casey went missing, Scott had driven her to work. He was the last person. He's last seen with her. Why is this man like full on suspect? Yeah. But Scott said he'd actually been on a week long hunting trip that week. So it was really impossible for him to have been the last one to see her. So he did not drive her. He said it was impossible for him to have driven her to work. And Lori knew about this hunting trip. So at the time she didn't suspect anything. Now, You know, and what's weird too, and I didn't even put this in my notes, but at one point in time, halfway through, I think the first year that Casey was missing, because she was missing for several years, a necklace would be found on Casey's doorknob and money would be found stolen from her room. And so Scott had said she must have come home at one point. she didn't? But what girl leaves a necklace on on a doorknob? Like that would not be where I would leave my stuff, like a necklace on a doorknob. I don't know. Teens leave pl- things weird places, I suppose. But like that does not oh. make any sense. Oh, she came home to what? Like, yeah, yeah, nothing. There's nothing that makes sense. No. Um. 
Now, you know who didn't know that Scott was the last person to reportedly see his daughter is her own father, Rob. But he would soon find that out. So police arrived at Lori's house one day looking for Scott after he'd filed about $80,000 worth of fraudulent checks. Why does this man still have a job at the FBI? Like he should be under suspicion for like multiple murders and then writing fraudulent checks. Like that is nuts. So Scott wasn't home. He was away on work like usual. And Lori didn't know where he was. Now the police thought that Lori was making this up like as a wife, like kind of covering for him. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like, come on down to the station with us. We got to question you. Like, so Lori happily complies with them. And but she's confused. As she said, since he's an FBI agent, shouldn't you know where he is? Now, uh, the police. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's now, a fair question. It's a very fair question. So now police are confused because how could Scott be an FBI agent with a record as long as his? <laughs> okay. okay, I'm not crazy. I knew it. Oh, my God. I was like. I toured the J. Edgar Hoover building and like to even get a tour there, like background screening the shit out of you. And like, I was like, how would this man be in the FBI? (laughs) Okay. Oh gosh. I guess hindsight is like 50, 50, but I watched that or what is 20. (laughs) I don't know. But like I watched a lot of things, a lot of red flags unfold. And I was like, girl, how are we not tying things like together here? Oh my God. How horrifying like moment when you realize like and in this case he's in the he's in the fbi but like when like the the husband says he has a job and he's like going to the starbucks every day or something like you're like you're lying about your everyday existence what wouldn't you lie about what a nut like <sighs> it's so crazy um so Scott wow. started getting into trouble with the police when he was about 18 years old. Now, most of his crimes were financial, check, fraud, all of that. Um, so when the FBI struck a deal with him to become an informant, so he was not uh, working for the FBI. <laughs> I thought he was informant. like, here's my badge. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he showed, FBI. Her, he showed her a fake badge at the casino when he met her. He showed her a fake. He FBI just carried that, that around. He just what he was <laughs> like. What a guy! Like my land. Um, You're gonna so. have to like be like, are you a criminal? And then like take out your black light to like check their ID, right? <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> so crazy. Wow. So yes, they the the FBI though at the time they didn't suspect he was a violent person because he had just had all these financial you know fraudulent treasures. Yeah. Here's the thing that's weird about that. What the hell is he informing on? Well, okay, I will get to that. But one of his prior charges was kidnapping and rape of his ex, the mother of his children, Larissa. Violent. (laughs) Violent, violent, violent. And when he became an FBI informant, magically those charges just seemed to disappear. Oh, that poor woman. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, you know what's terrible is before she, those charges were filed, she had gone to police and said she'd been raped by him, but they thought she was just a disgruntled ex. So they totally dismissed her. Wow. But then he kidnapped and raped her. Yeah. Yeah. So when her child said that his father threw a grade on him, she believed him. And when he said he was thrown out of a vehicle at 60 miles per hour, she believed him. Oh, absolutely. Turns out that Scott had done this the very week he'd inquired about the life insurance policy he had for him. Yes. On on her son? Mm-hmm. On their son? On their son. Piece of garbage. That's crazy. 
you can probably guess by now that Uncle Terry didn't go to Mexico either Mm-mm. with a suitcase of cash. No lottery. Yeah. Shoot. And Jennifer Markham, that 25-year-old he was supposed to be on assi- assignment for, Scott was the last person to see her alive. <gasps> oh, no. Yes. Jeez. Yeah. So Markham... You do not want to cross paths with him. Like, he's the last scene with everybody. Everybody. Yeah. And it's like the police aren't even tying it together because he's their, like, star informant over here. Yeah. So yeah. Jennifer Markham went missing on or around February 17th, 2003. That same week, he had his first date with Lori. That was like, yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that How creepy? horrifying. Yeah. It's just so scary you could meet, like, a monster just mm-hmm. anytime. Yeah. Any place. Yeah. So Jennifer's last known location was when she went to visit her boyfriend, Steve Ines. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. We'll, we'll see. Let me know in the comments. No, she went to visit him in prison. Steve Ines was cellmates with Scott. Now, Steve had ties to an ecstasy distribution ring. So she was going to have to testify to this knowledge. During this visit, Steve and Jennifer would have an altercation, an altercation that was so bad they had to evacuate the visiting room. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was the last time that Jennifer Markham was seen until Scott opened his mouth. So, yeah, no one knew she was missing until the informant let them know. Her car was found at the airport. So the informant is Scott. So her car was found at the airport. The Markhams were terribly concerned about where their daughter was. But like Casey, she's an adult. So Mm -hmm. there didn't seem to be any foul play involved at the time that she had just vanished from their lives because they didn't know her car had been found and all of that until later. Um, So it was pretty much dismissed and they couldn't file a missing person report. Um, She, the Markhams would also say that they felt their daughter was seen as less than by the police due to her chosen line of work as an exotic dancer. Oh yeah. They definitely talked about that before. Yeah. So desperate for information, and in 2006, three years after her disappearance, they went to see if she was in the prison system. So the Markhams go to see if she's made it into the prison system somehow, but to no avail. However, the very next day, the FBI would contact them to let them know they've been investigating their daughter's disappearance for the last three years. Now, they told them that they had a high-powered informant on the case known as Joe Snitch. Scott. Um, Joe snitch. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, and he was the self-proclaimed, the FBI were aware he was yeah. the self-proclaimed last person to see her alive. So the FBI set up a meeting between them and Scott. Why would they do that? Why would an investigator the parents? Talk to Scott? Yes. Is Why? That's horrible. Yeah. That's horrible. The so, last seen person should still be on a suspect list somewhere. Like you should not be talking to the parents of a victim. That's no. insane. Yes. Yuck. So they meet up with Scott and he says he can actually lead them to where Jennifer's body is if they want to follow him into the woods. And her father is like, no way in Dude, hell. Dude, I want to be the last scene with you too. Yeah, that's it. That's he's like, he's like, if he knows where my daughter is, then he knows that she's dead. Like he did it, you know, like, so yeah. like, no, 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 no. I'm not going with him. And then he also offered to reenact what had happened to Jennifer to her mother. 
And why wasn't this like being recorded with a police officer or something? Like, well, there is recorded conversations between the Markhams and between Scott. Okay. And she's on the phone. The mother is on the phone, just begging for information about where her daughter is. And he was like, I already told you that uh, what I could tell you, like you, you should have gone in the woods with me. Like you should. And she was like, I didn't feel comfortable with you reenacting things on me, but no, mm -mm. They had been able to get Scott's license plate number when they'd gone to meet him. And somehow they ended up finding out that who who he was, Scott Kimball, right? Mm, so yeah, because he was got, just Joe Snitch, right? Yeah. And then gotcha. they got in contact with Casey's parents. And that's how both fathers were able to find out that their daughters were last seen with Scott. Oh my God, it's so nuts that these are the best investigators on this case, the dads. like Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But by this time, the FBI were still not aware of Scott's whereabouts. <laughs> wow. Okay. So they were able to get his new cell phone number from Lori and were able to trace him to where he'd been living with his girlfriend that Lori suspected he'd had all along. <laughs> like so how classy. Did, how did what a guy. Keep up with his lies? I don't know how you keep up with your lies like that. He just lies on guy. top of lies. He doesn't even remember his lies. Oh, man. So... Kimball's noticed one day that an unmarked car was following him. So he turns up Nickelback song rock star and speeds away. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like you can't make it up. Like it's that seems like wild. a scene out of a movie. Yeah. Right. You're like so cheesy. So the chase went on until he ran out of, out of gas, excuse me, about 260 miles from where the chase had begun. How far? That's a long ass time. Miles. Yeah. Oh my so God. By the time police, he had a full tank. <laughs> oh, ridiculous! By the time police captured him, he had um, it, it was it had been three hours like of them chasing him, and then they for a brief moment he thought he was gonna try to commit suicide, so he was on the phone with the investigator like I'm gonna kill myself, and they're like Scott, come on. So they finally they, like, pull him. over. Yeah. Yeah. So. Once incarcerated, police began to search through Scott's computer. They found a photo of an unknown woman on Scott's computer. Like, oh my God, how many victims? Wow. Well, yeah. So Leanne Emery, they found out, was who this was. Um, she was a girlfriend of one of the other gentlemen that he was in prison with. Now, he actually ratted this boyfriend out among with a lot of people to get that FBI informant deal because he said mm. that they were planning a prison escape. However, Scott was actually the mastermind of that prison escape. <laughs> so he did all of this. Yeah, of course. Like wild. To secure now, a deal. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now he told Leanne to call him Hannibal. He thinks he's Hannibal Lecter. Ew. He's a shit. Ew. Yeah. No. And I didn't like, I listened to, I love Dateline. I listened to their podcast on this and they called him Hannibal for like a lot of the episode. And I was like, no, don't give him that credit. Like, no, he, no, no. So because he's wearing it like a badge. Don't like, yep. to toot his horn for him. Yuck. He loves it. So Leanne was an exotic dancer. Um, she'd gotten into a life a little bit like kind of over her head. She was caring for her ailing mother, trying to, you know, get her life on the right track. And Scott had promised her boyfriend along with her that he was going to help her open up a coffee shop and everything else. So that's how he got in contact with her. And that's why they were working together. Leanne even told one of her friends, uh, I believe it was in a message. She said, Hannibal is a very scary person if you're not on his good side. So I guess she'd seen, you know, yeah. the other side of Scott, right? Um, yeah. Her car was found abandoned in Moab, Utah. 
And right before she disappeared, she had written bad checks and stolen thousands of dollars from her father's credit card. But we know that's that's Scott's MO. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Um, So she went missing in January of 2003. And that was the same week, I believe, that Scott met Lori because they met in January, first date in February. Wow. So he's like back to back. So Scott is now like in our timeline here that I'm talking about in prison under check fraud, right? So not Mm -hmm. for these missing people, right? And he won't confess. He's under the suspicion of the disappearances of these people. So the feds are trying to get him to talk and he won't. But a few months in, he asks a strange question. What if one of the girls disappeared in a federal forest land? Sure enough. Oh, it's going to be a federal crime. (laughs) Sure enough, the week Casey disappeared, Scott had been in the grocery store in Walden, Colorado, near Root National Forest, where they had their honeymoon. Ew. He had <gasps> taken Lori, Casey's mother, on a honeymoon in the same forest he disposed of her daughter's body. Gross. Oh, what a sick person. I have so, chills. Yeah. Disgusting. Scott, as he said, he didn't kill, he wouldn't have shot Lori, but he planned something really special for her. Like, what a piece of junk. Yeah. So he eventually, like, he's changed his story so many times. He's at points confessed to killing Terry and then to none of the women. He later said that he knew who killed them and helped dispose of the bodies. He claimed that he killed them, but he didn't act alone. Like, there's a lot of, like, different things that he says. Now, the... FBI have a theory. They think that his motive for killing the women and his motive for killing the men are separate. So they think it's financial gain when it comes to killing the men, but they think it's sexual in nature when it comes to killing the women. Um, They did cut a plea deal with him. If Scott could lead them to the bodies, then he would get like a cut on his time. However, he could lead them to everyone except for Jennifer Markham. Now, this has made some believe that he may not have killed Jennifer Markham and that he just added mm. her in to include her in the plea deal. But that doesn't make sense to me because he took them to several spots to try yeah. to like find her and they couldn't, they, none of those spots turned up fruitful and um, it, he lost the plea deal over this. So it doesn't make sense that he would lump her into me. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Cause they would get thrown out. He'd be like, well, this is going to end poorly. Like yeah. if he really hadn't. Yeah. Yes. Weird. Um, so Yeah. In 2011, Scott wrote a 147-page letter to his family, admitting responsibility in the murders. Kind of. He admitted Mm. to killing Casey, but said it was an accident, that she overdosed on drugs and alcohol that he gave her. He said he had killed Jennifer by causing her to overdose on heroin, and that he had shot Leanne while she was trying to escape from him. No. These are all, like, half-truths. half Yeah. So the FBI currently believe that Scott is involved in the disappearance of at least 20 other people. Yeah, because everyone that he's around, he's the last one seen. Yeah. They're seen with. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. He's also suspected, a lot of people believe that he's involved with the West Mesa murders. So in 2009, a woman walking her dog through Albuquerque, New Mexico's West Mesa, excuse me, stumbled on a human bone. I've heard of this one. Yes. The discovery led to a massive burial pit that contained the remains of nine women, two teenage girls, and one unborn child. All of the victims disappeared between 03 and 04. 
That's yeah. the same years that Scott was active and he was active in that area. He said he traveled to Albuquerque sometimes on business. E and do they ha- so sorry, did you say they're unidentified remains? Are they um, known? No, the they're they're known. The victims are known. Um and when he was arrested, the murders stopped. Yeah. So like it Yikes. Does- yeah, very like. Ugh. And his victims are all sort of sim- like similar background ish. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's aligns. Obviously, if they, he suspect that they probably do. So yeah. So he was sentenced to seventy years in prison. So he's not getting out. However, Scott has said that he needs to be released um, because there's nothing to worry about when it comes to him. He's now retired. He doesn't want. He's retired from his life. Oh, he's time. retired. Okay. Yeah. This- yeah. We're taking his word on things. Uh, yeah. So sure. don't don't worry. He would never hurt anyone. So he should definitely be released. And um, he has also since tried to escape from prison. So. <laughs> no, this man has learned nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, his marriage to Lori was annulled. But don't worry. He remarried a woman that he has never met who's being held in the Kansas penitentiary for child abuse case. So God bless. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, in 2015, Lori was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was given six mm. months to two years to live. Now, she is quoted as saying, I get to, um, to leave sooner to be with my kiddo. When I pass, my plan is to be cremated, and they will open Casey's casket, and my cremains will be placed there. We'll be in heaven together. Um, Lori passed away actually in Canada, I saw. So she's since gone. I know. Um, But yeah, that is the crazy case of Scott Lee Kimball. What a crazy case. How horrible that you could just meet him and disappear and then not even be investigated. Because yeah, if he suspected, you said 20 disappearances or people. Yeah. Yeah. No one is normally the last one seen for anyone. That's very rare. If you're like usually the last one seen with someone, suspicious. That's the person. Yeah. Yeah. I um this whole case it just got crazier and crazier. And when I read that he played Nickelback's rock star on Loud (laughs) while zooming away, oh my god, he thinks he's so cool. What a guy! The FBI. Oh, and he thinks he's Hannibal Lecter. Like I was like, you're disgusting. So yeah. Yeah, because he thought he was smart or like cunning. Yeah, like yeah. He also he does look super unassuming when you see a photo of him. Like I would, I would probably think he was like a very jovial guy. Mm -hmm. Um, if I saw him on the street, like I wouldn't. So that's Mm -hmm. like that's a creep factor to that. Yeah, but yeah, he's been asked in several instances if he thinks he's like the greatest con man of all time, and he's like, well, it took them this long to catch me, and blah blah blah. blah. But yeah, he's pretty full of himself. So yeah, what a guy. Mm -hmm. Nope, hadn't Um, heard that one. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know for myself, since transitioning to a working from home environment, the importance of taking care of your own mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime, day or night, to message your therapist. It's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy, and financial aid is available. You can visit their website and read other clients' testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash ITT, that's better, H-E-L-P, 
and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And for listeners of Innocent Till Tipsy, you can go to their website and get an additional 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash ITT. That's betterhelp.com slash ITT. So sorry we don't have any wine this time and that this was kind <sighs> of like a quick a quick episode. Um, but yeah. There's Crazy. lots there. Yeah. There's a lot there. I could have like, I could have gone on, um, but I, I restrained myself. <laughs> oh um, God. Well, All right. feel, like, well, until next time, I don't even have time. water. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>